Uh, it, is, it is good to be together, and it's funny, like, I go through all this emotional stuff sitting there in the chair and, like, how services feel, and, you know, we always try to, to, to think about how do we address all the varying people in the room and the needs and all that stuff, and so, I don't know, it's just, I, I felt like this morning, it's like, come on, get a little bit more excited, you know, because it feels just, it's not you, uh, but we have a lot to be excited for. And I think on this Palm Sunday, as, as we celebrate our, our Lord uh, a couple thousand years ago entering into Jerusalem, very well knowing exactly what was going to unfold, uh, knowing very well what he would end up doing for you and I, uh, is reason to celebrate. And so just that old hymn that they did today, uh, that you can't pronounce half the words, like, right? I and ye and... Uh, but how beautiful that is for our souls. So it, it's a blessing this morning. We just thought it'd be great to uh, talk about the impact that God's had in our lives as a church with some of the partners that our, our kind of missional team called Go uh, puts, we put resources and volunteers into those spaces. And, you know, Mike and Audrey, uh, Trish and I knew Mike and Audrey before they were married. I've told this a couple of times, but, you know, when I first met Micah, he had me there speaking in, in Kenya, and it was one of the first big kickoffs for the first location, and he said, hey, by the way, I got some other things to talk to you about, and so he pulled me aside, he goes, there's this girl I'm dating, I'm not sure if I should marry her, should I? So I flew all the way to Kenya to do like marital counseling, and <laughs> said, uh, he showed me a picture of her and told me about her, I said, well, you better marry her, you're going to lose her, so uh, he and Audrey are married, how long? Eight years. Eight years, wow. Yeah. And so I remember you first, they first came to our house, and uh, we asked them how it was going early in your marriage, and Audrey, what a, just a sweet gal, like a lot of patience. She says, well, I'm getting tired of living out of the car, and so we'd go outside in the car, and it was like everything they owned was in the back seat. And remember, our, our small group kind of bought them a, a Thule to go on the top, and that was like, it was like buying a new home, wasn't it? It was. It was an add-on. An and then you took it through the car wash, right? Yeah. I'm not going to tell that story, but I am. Yeah, it, car wash in California. <laughs> and it, took, it tore it, took it the, off. <laughs> took the extension to the house right off the car. Oh, all right, enough junk on you there. So anyway, uh, I love uh, these guys' hearts. Micah, tell us a little bit about, because as a church, we not only send people to Haiti, uh, we have had people go to Kenya, uh, but we monthly, out of the, your first fruits, uh, give quite a bit uh, to building these centers. So just talk, give us a, a review because many people haven't heard that. Yeah, so first we moved out of the car and we live in a house now. Nice. Uh, and we just have amazing, isn't it? <laughs> headquarters The transition in from car to house. <laughs> yes, it was, yeah. was life-changing. So, uh, so yeah, is, it, is an entity, you see kind of the driver behind our mission, our creed or our vision. Uh, our mission statement is, is on the screen there. We as an entity go into slums or third world environments and we establish centers. And these centers are places from which we pursue three main things. The, the multiplication of disciples, uh, alleviation of poverty, and then we aim to function in a more sustainable way. And I think just listen to that for a moment. That's just such a great value statement. You know, there's a lot of missional organizations out there. And many of you come to us and say, gosh, Troy or Trish or staff, we'd love for us to do this. And we can't do them all. And we have to make an assessment of what's best. And one of the values we have as, an organ, uh, as a church is we don't want to just send money to places. We want to somehow have a real-life touch, and that means sending people to those places. And there are some circumstances where we, we don't actually send anybody. Uh, we have a couple missionaries that we've done that over the years, but quite frankly, it's just because we can't. Uh, but I love this idea of not just alleviating poverty, not just these centers, but you're making disciples. So just talk a little bit about that, because you yeah. don't get a chance to talk about how amazing that is. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, one, when we talk about multiplying disciples, if we wanted to put a, a statement, you know, associated with that, we, we like to say revealing God's grace by advancing his gospel. And, and right now, through the existing centers uh, around the world, we have... 2,500 to 3,000 uh, young people in our Life on Life disciple-making leagues. And so the, it, there's uh, evangelism, edification, and equipping. So introducing people to the love of Jesus Christ as people come into relationship with Christ, and it's building them up in their faith, 
and then ultimately doing it in such a way that they're able to share the hope of Christ that's in them with others and multiply disciples. So Now, are you seeing when you have, let's say, you, have you had a kid that you're feeding and in this center and discipling now become a part of leadership? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, just uh, a guy named Isaac just got a report. I was in Africa last week, and we were at all uh, three centers in Africa. young man named Isaac was dealing drugs in a slum called Matheti. Uh, loved soccer, came to the center uh, over several months, being exposed to the gospel, ended up giving his life to Christ um, uh, as a part of our U20 team. Um, he, he became really an ambassador for his faith, uh, and then and we started using him for training, teaching, counseling with kids that were dealing with drugs in the area, and just recently we brought him on staff. And so kind of that full circle of Dealing drugs and living in a slum to that's amazing. That. How long did that take that transition? I'd say from 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 when living he first started to staff. Uh, we're talking about a year, year and a half. Come on, that's amazing, isn't it? That's just absolutely that's so awesome. All right, keep going. Sorry, I, no, I'm going to keep stopping him. So no, absolutely. So yeah, so we we're after these these three things through centers. Uh, where we're at right now in the world, uh, by God's grace, we have five uh, operating centers in the places you see. Um, and our smallest center is on eight acres of land. Our largest is on 15 acres of, of land. And, and there's a whole host of services that are provided to the community uh, from you know, agricultural development projects and a 2,000-head egg-laying operation with chickens to um, obviously, uh, water provision and so on and so forth. Now, we, <clears throat> as a church, knew that we couldn't, when we first started with, with Vapor, we were set, trying to send some people to, to Kenya and to Africa in the centers. Uh, it's pretty costly. And based on kind of our, uh, our culture here and what was affordable, we just recognized it would be difficult to sustain multiple trips there and it was interesting because they were then beginning to, to look into Haiti, and that just fit for us uh, to continue on that development. And so that's a large reason why. Now, also another note. Now, this is just uh, an inside kind of picture for you. One of the things that we've gotten to learn from Vapor is this idea of creating a center where people come for a reason that's not necessarily about God. They came for soccer, they came for food, they came for water, they came for some micro-business. And then you have this opportunity to share the gospel. Friends, as we start talking about Ripple, we keep talking about our campus. If you could look in 30 days what goes on in our campus, from blood drives to AP testing to soccer practice to Special Olympics, we could go on to hygiene packing. We go on and on and on. We're drawing people to our campus that aren't coming necessarily for the reason that we have to give them. And yet we're getting a chance to share that. That largely comes out of watching their model. So pretty exciting. Yeah, so thank thanks. you for that. Well, I th think so as you said, there was uh, a vested interest in the organization, both you know, personally with uh, you and Tricia and then others that are in your congregation. And then you guys started saying, hey, why don't we start to focus that towards mm -hmm. um, Haiti? And so for the last three years, your resource or financial resource contributions and then most of the human resource investment has been focused on developing out in Haiti. So show us what that looks like now in Haiti. Uh, some, some of you are familiar with this conceptual map. Again, it's just a conceptual map with, with it basically pictures develop a center, uh, a, a hub, which we would call a regional center, um, develop personnel there and in capabilities and then start to reach out to the greater country. So where we're at right now is um, the center in Dallaire, which is our regional center, is uh, totally complete and operating uh, and, and God's doing great things there. It's a 15-acre project. Uh, in Wanamenth, which is uh, to, to my right, your right as well, uh, uh, that center is now totally complete. We opened it in August of 2013. And then we are um, working on a land deal right now. I'd say... You know, we're about a month to three months away from breaking ground, Lord willing, on a third center in Ferrier. And you've told me, you don't have to comment on this, we can keep going, but they basically, they're building these centers and now city officials are coming and saying, come to our city, here's the land. And so this is starting to unfold quite a mm -hmm. bit in Haiti, which is pretty exciting. And especially in light of, I remember Danny, Mary Gernt, and I were riding around scooters and you kept saying, this would be a cool piece of land, this would be a cool piece of land. And remember... 
that ended up being one of the pieces yep. of land that we have that you built yep. in Wanamen. So yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, our initial entry into um, into Haiti was I wouldn't say rocky, but it just took a little yeah. longer. Um, we we put about nine months into front end work, and then once we had a uh, our field rep on the ground, it took another seven months, and we still couldn't actualize a land deal. What happened was we moved to Delaire, um, a, a hmm. deal came together, and then after everybody saw a working prototype, to your point, we started being um, uh, pursued. Pursued, yeah. yeah. So that, that happened in one event. We were given seven acres and then bought an acre, and then we were actually being given, I mean, it, it's not exactly as simple as I'm saying, right. but we're in a land granting process with 15 acres from the city of wow. Fourier. So. All right, keep going. Yeah, so in Delaire, just kind of by way of uh, update, as, as you guys know, we have uh, the, the leagues running, disciple-making happening through the leagues, the poverty-alleviating efforts running, and right now, um, the big push is kind of driving sustainability. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, a few things going on down that uh, route. We built a guest house, um, and, and that guest house is uh, a rentable unit in country, and then it also serves trips. Uh, we've got a banana farm in, uh, 2,650-some two, banana plants. We're, we're banana farmers now. Nice, so, nice. <laughs> uh, we've got, we just harvested our first bean crop. We did a cover crop and then sold the beans into the local market. Wow. Um, and then we've, we started a uh, sports theater. Uh, so we took uh, one of our facilities, we made a little theater out of it, put in a big screen TV, and then we actually, uh, like when Barcelona, well, this isn't soccer country. When, when, so right, when big right. soccer clubs play, clubs play, that we, we sell tickets. Yeah. Wow. So that, that actually is, uh, it's, you know, the whole place gets packed out. We sell so tickets. it really becomes a, a communal center Absolutely. for food, mm -hmm. but even just for connecting. Yeah, which is pretty exciting. And, and we, our goal is to, to offset our core operating costs outside of our general right. budget. So. There's not revenues being brought back to the U.S. It's helping the center right. itself generate income. And, and it's generating jobs, too. Yeah. These are all people, yep. like the banana farm is run yep. by all the locals. Absolutely, yeah. We have, I think we have 24 paid employees now at that That's particular exciting. site, all Haitians. So. so how many, if between uh, Dallaire and Wanamanth, do you, could just roughly that uh, people that now have jobs working at the center? Um, between Dallaire and Wanamanth, we're... Uh, uh, right at, I'd say right at 50, like, full-time labors, and then you have um, subcontract work and, and part-time work that comes up. So. so, community, you need to hear, that's largely because uh, of your gifts. Your gifts have built two centers that are supplying jobs for 50, but then sending the gospel out to... Yeah, thousands. Yeah. Thousands. Mm -hmm. and that's exciting. That's something for you to just to celebrate. Um, and you can clap if you're tempted to clap. That's okay here, by the way. Hey, we're not one of those churches going to tell you when to stand up and sit down and when to clap and when to say whatever. You could just bring it, okay? There, except you, Micah. Except you. Okay. What else do you have? Yeah, so uh, also just if I was giving high points on a few others. So one a month is we kind of mentioned there. The center opened in August, fully staffed out, and we have over 800 kids um, on wow. a regular basis. That are, or when I, it's actually children, youth, and adults in the disciple-making. Um, That's uh, exciting. Yeah, and, and, and we have sustainability projects under evaluation there. Good. Yeah. And then uh, if you look at kind of Ferrier, which we, we touched on earlier, um, where, where we're at there is uh, property's been located, site has been formally surveyed, um, city leaders have we've worked uh, we've we've come to the place where we've agreed to a deal in earnest kind of a land deal in earnest and now it's kind of time to sign so we're hoping that between one and three months we'll actually have boots on the or we'll actually be ready shovel in the ground we're taking a West African um, a vapor staff person bringing he and his wife to Haiti to actually um, um, lead out and wow. build that center so wow that's exciting more pictures yeah, that's yes uh, that's the main stuff right there so. isn't that awesome. You guys, um, so Micah, what is it that we could be praying for as a church, and, and what are some of the, I, I know your staff is, is uh, some from the states, but largely it's from uh, the nationals that live in those spaces. Uh, what's on their hearts? What's the, what's the burden that you guys feel like as a is an organization you're praying for. Yeah, this year for us, um, although we are, so this year for us is really um, our theme this year is going to get better before bigger. We're, 
There's 260 staff now with Vapor globally as, uh, as far as paid involvement. 260 from two in a car. Yeah. So th there's been a sense in which we've, by God's grace, been able to grow, expand, um, get into new places. And, and we're, we're really at a spot where we're saying, hey, we want to make sure that all we do is, is done really well and that we're serving people physically really, really well at existing centers, that we're serving sp people spiritually, and then also growing our ability to, to generate um, income through businesses. So this year is about, for us, while we are stepping into a couple new areas, it's really deep diving and getting even better at what we're already doing. So that, uh, pray for God's wisdom and direction as we seek to, to put quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. And then second, um, we're doing a lot of um, regional personnel development, which for us means we're taking Kenyans and bringing them to Togo for a year of training and development. Oh, wow. We're taking Togolese and bringing them to Haiti and developing it. We're, and we're, we're, there's a lot of cross-pollination. That's pretty cool. And the hope is that we come out of that with higher level developed leaders that are able to be effective in their culture when they go home in, in providing a whole other level of leadership and growth. So that's kind of, those are the two big things. That's exciting. Good stuff, isn't it? Yeah. My last question is not something that you prepped for, but I know it's in your soul. So I remember your story telling me you kind of live that kid Christian life, you went to church. But Jesus did something to you, and he, he started to create unrest when you first went. Do you remember that, those? Mm -hmm. Tell me yeah. just quick, tell them quickly what started to happen to your heart about poverty in third world. Yeah, so entering into a slum called Kawanguari, uh, being living there for a month, stayed with some missionaries, and then stayed with um, local indigenous people in a slum. Um, the statistics became personal. Um, the realities that people are dealing with on an everyday basis, uh, inability to access clean drinking water, raw sewage flowing through the streets, uh, a whole other level of, of extreme poverty, people trying to survive on less than $1.25 a day. Um, it, at one point in time, those were distant statistics, and now they became names and faces. It became people. And, and, and looking at those realities and asking the question, what am I supposed to do about that? Um, um, begin to see in God's word, matching that, mm. clear commands and calls from Genesis to Revelations, God saying, I put you here to show my compassion by sharing my provision type of stuff. So, yeah, so to, to sum that up, God's word is not silent. Um, his commands are incredibly clear, uh, both in our, his desire for us to make him known um, make the gospel known verbally and to show it in, in sharing his compassion physically. And so seeing that, matching that with human need, and then just saying, okay, so God, what do you want? How, how do you want us? How do you want me to respond to that? And, and vapor was kind of birthed, yeah. um, wrestling in the tension between uh, those Yeah, things. out of that tension. And it wasn't just, you didn't just see poverty there. You said there's, there's a global problem. Absolutely, yeah and you are not going to settle anymore. And that's, that's what I've loved about you and, and Audrey and just your hearts of not settling and allowing God to create restlessness and tension uh, over that, and you won't settle anymore. And friends, quite frankly, that's what the kingdom is really about, is God changing us and saying we can't settle for this anymore. And as the bride of Christ, we're going we're gonna to make a difference. What a privilege it is to be uh, with Vapor and a part of this journey. Can we pray for him? Uh, and Audrey, would you guys extend a hand if you'd like, just uh, in agreement? God, we pray right now uh, for Vapor. God, more than just a, a logo and an organization, we pray for the movement that you're creating, that, Lord, you have said that you will not stand for the injustice of poverty. And you, will, uh, you have a, a desire that everyone should know the love of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for Mike and Audrey and their staff, both local and, and international, Father, that carries that burden of not settling. And so, Father, we pray great blessing and growth in the future. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Again, let's thank Micah. Thanks, buddy. So, uh, this morning, again, being a little bit different in how we're shaping this, they're, they're actually going to Haiti training now. We, uh, as a church, 
there's, there's connecting with God, there's belong to the body. And then there's this last part of the logo, you've seen it, and it's this X. And it means go. Because friends, when, when Jesus moves into your life, he starts to create a, what's called like a holy discontent, a, a, a restlessness within yourself. And some things have to change, and you begin to move. And whether it's serve days or feed my starving children, you, you become a part of the cause. Not from us, but from Christ. And that's what's so powerful about that. And so sometimes opportunities come up, and I had this chance to go to Angola. Uh, it's, every time I say that, people go, you went to Africa last week? No. Angola, Louisiana. Uh, and named Angola because over 100 plus years ago, it was a slave plantation. And they named it based on where most of the slaves came from. And so there's a darkness and an evil about that place, and it became a prison. And it became the country's bloodiest prison. And so I had a chance, you remember in February, to go down there and meet with the 26 pastors that are convicted murderers and, and multiple felons that have graduated from Bible college and now have churches in the facility of the 18,000 acres and are doing ministry. And remember they said, they, they said, we're struggling, we're having infighting, meaning people are competing for people to go to their church. And then there's this hypocrisy about who's more spiritual and who's preaching it right. And I'm just like, this, is, this sounds like just normal world. This sounds like us. us. Uh, and so we brainstormed to do three services. And sure enough, this last Monday and Tuesday, we got to do that. And so I took some friends with us, but we wanted to watch this video, and then we'll have these guys come up and we'll, we'll interview here. already had uh, standing room only in our chapel that holds 796 people. That's what was talked about. It was, you know, how you can have bad news being talked about and spread. Well, last night we had good news being spread throughout the prison about people came and shared the word of God and men were inspired to live for Christ. passionate about God's people. I'm passionate about people that don't, don't know God yet um, because that's who God came for, uh, the lost. And um, I believe that it's going to be an incredible outreach tool and an incredible tool to encourage men and women no matter where you are. You have family in the gospel, you have family in the body of Christ, and that we can work together to accomplish uh, the great change that we need in our nation and in this state. And when we can just stop and rest in somebody else, like Pastor Troy and Pastor Bill, Pastor Meeks can come and speak in our lives and refresh us, that we can continue to serve the local church. And God's reached down and restored us. He called us by name. And it's a picture for you guys to see how deep and how far and how far-reaching His grace is and His love for man, for sinners are. The men here in Angola can have a voice on the outside to say that God lives here. I, I would tell them, just sell out. Just surrender all, because ultimately that's what it comes down to. I mean, when we can, when we can give everything that we are to Christ, when we can just lay it all down and say, I'm for you and for you only, uh, do, I, do I, I love and serve? And, and we, if we implement that understanding in our life on a daily basis, all the other things, this the routine of life, dealing with job, finances, family, all those things, it's going to fall into place. The first thing we got to do is get that first part right. That's our service and our devotion to Christ. And that's, that's what's important. So we did three services. That video was uh, edited by uh, Eric. You can give it up for Eric here. Turn the lights on there. So I told these guys they have about three mer uh, minutes, and Eric said, I'm going to do a two-minute and 30-second video, so I only have 30 seconds to speak. 
but I just told him that didn't count, so now he's stuck up here. Uh, two of these guys are elders. Uh, Marty's an elder with us. Damien's an elder with us. Uh, uh, Eric actually works for us um, in the IT area at our church uh, and tech, and then Danny's um, obviously works here on staff as tech and, and does some music, but just thought it would be great to take a team, and God did a ton down there, and I wanted these guys to talk, though, so... Uh, Damien, why don't you start us off and just talk a little about just impressions and some of the stuff that, because it's the first time for you. Interesting enough, just a quick story, Damien, uh, two years ago, gave me a DVD. He goes, I I think you should watch this. And it was this DVD of this prison. And I thought, well, this will be a great thing for the team studies. I do the Packers studies, and we watched it. Well, that year, we actually got a chance to go to the local prison. Well, sure enough, I get the chance this last year to go to Angola. It was like... Yes, and so it was so great to take Damien, who had introduced me to this place. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, good morning, everyone. Uh, You know, our mission as a church is that we are a transforming community of families that love God and love others, and this trip was just an extension of our our mission, and what an honor and a privilege just to be with uh, Pastor Troy and the team, and uh, there's no way to unpack in three minutes all that we experienced, but as I thought about the trip, there were really uh, three defining moments that I want to share with you over the course of two and a half days, and The first defining moment, and you saw it in one of the pictures here, was uh, a body of men, 700 convicted murderers, rapists, criminals, uh, congregating in a church that they built with with donated resources. And uh, it was Monday night. We were there, and there was a time in the service. We had uh, Willow's worship team there, and there was a time in the service. I was toward the front where I just closed my eyes, and I heard the voices of 700 uh, condemned men who were singing Uh, however like they were free Mm -hmm. and it just gives me spirit sparks to share that with you right now that uh, you could spirit sparks spirit sparks you just said that right not not spirit sparks that is awesome I mean that preaches right there Uh, but Jesus Christ is the difference you heard it in the testimonials the great liberator was able to liberate men from a life of condemnation and shame and guilt. And you could hear it in their voices, you could see it in their actions, and you could sense it in the culture and the climate of America's deadliest uh, prison. And I've got, I've got a, a couple other uh, uh, points I'll share, but I'll, I'll pause with that first one. Yeah. M- Marty, what about for you? Is first time in prison, I think, right, for you? First time. First time. <laughs> First and last time. Hopefully. There you go, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe not the last time. Hey, and there was a guy, one of the chaplains. It's so, you're not sure how to, you know, we're like, we're kind of, we jab each other with jokes and stuff. But, you know, at a prison, can you joke about anything? You're not sure. Well, the, the chaplain walks up. Did you notice his sweatshirt? It said Angola and had this, it was black and had these beautiful gates on it. It said, a gated community. <laughs> Now, you're not sure if you're supposed to laugh at that or not, but you just, okay, all right. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I think for me, uh, one of my favorite scriptures and parts of the word is uh, early in the Gospel of John, it talks about the word becoming flesh, and then it goes on and talks about how the light shines in the darkness, hmm. and the darkness can't overcome it. Yeah. And, you know, this is... Make no doubt, I mean, these are the pictures and everything don't do justice when we, we had a tour of the prison. It is a very dark place. It's got a dark history. These men have done very dark things. They, they have admitted that they've done them. Um, they feel remorse for those things. But to take that and then to juxtapose it with what we saw in these services yeah. and how they treat, these men treated us, how they treated one another... It, um, it was very evidential of how they had received that light of Christ and how they were shining that light out, you know, in a really dark place. And so when we were in this place, and again, I, I always tease, you know, I said, well, Eric, Eric's just turned 18 this week. I said, for your 18th birthday, I'm taking you to prison. <laughs> so uh, I never felt any amount of fear or worry yeah. or for my safety while I was there. And so it, it just, I think it speaks to me, it speaks to us. You know, we, we all have dark places in our lives and places where we know there's darkness. And, you know, what are we doing to shine that, that light out yeah. in our dark places? You know, it's interesting. We talked about that, how being there in a prison, there's a confession 
uh, that's just, it's, it's out there in front of you, and that is, these men did something horrible. Uh, but Sunday morning, we come to church, and we put on our nice clothes, and we say nice things. We just didn't get caught. Now, granted, we might not have done those things, but we probably thought those things. And so sin has no place in the kingdom of God, and there's no measuring of, of sin. And so there is a tension of meeting someone, you're saying, man, this is just like somebody at church. I mean, this is just, I love this person. And then you realize, and they'll say to you, and I'm a murderer, and I, I'm, I deserve to be here, but God has freed me. And that, that is a tension, isn't it? Like, wait a second, can you be transformed like that? Uh, but we recognize Paul. Paul was seen as a terrorist. You know, David himself not only committed adultery, uh, it was unfaithful, but he also murdered the man um, that, of the husband of uh, the wife. And so you, you have Moses who killed. I mean, God seems to be having this theme of saying, hey, listen, people are broken, and they're hurting, and they're lost. I'm going to use those people. I'm going to use those people who aren't, who are sick, as he says. So what a great, great opportunity. So Eric, what did you think? What were some of your impressions? What, what struck you as interesting and unique? Now, not the trailer. We got there at 1 a.m. on Monday, and all of them looked at me, and I didn't know we were staying. All of a sudden, it was like a propped-up like, motorhome trailer like on, in the prison, and uh, the guys that were hosting us said, oh, Troy, and you're going with us. And then I'm leaving these guys there and thought, oh. That was so right after your forgiveness. that was right after the forgiveness <laughs> message, which was perfect. So they forgave me. But anyway, thoughts. Just what, what hit you, Eric, It was as very interesting or unique? You weren't, you weren't ready for that. Yeah, I think kind of like you said, um, when we went in there, uh, and I was just talking to some of the guys, uh, when we first went in there, there the, the three guys you saw in the video, um, they were all standing out, outside the chapel, you know, and we were just talking to them. Um, and at some point after that, Troy said, you know, oh yeah, all those guys are inmates. And we kind of didn't even expect that when we went in there, um, just because of the way they, they acted. Uh, they're all incredibly well-spoken, um, just really considerate, um, kind of just not, not exactly what I expected. Um, hmm. And then about, you know, half an hour later, I'm talking to one of the guys and just kind of in part of his conversation, he just says, yeah, I killed somebody. And, you know, for me, that's kind of like, whoa. And not saying it like glibly, like no, I didn't but care, was, but making that confession. Like, yeah, he was, he was saying, you know, I can't believe you guys are here. Uh, before I came here, I would have never even thought um, anybody would do this. I was so selfish and... You know, I, I killed somebody, and now I'm here, and I've changed so much. Hmm. So it's just really interesting to hear. Yeah, it hit you pretty deep, didn't it? Yeah. Danny, what are you thinking? Like, yeah. why are you up here? <laughs> yeah, what am I, what am I, how did I get here? <laughs> uh, no, uh, it was a real treat to get to go, Troy, and so I, I appreciate your invitation yeah. and that uh, to kind of just be on the trip and experience that. Yeah, one thing, I mean, I'll, I'm feeling a lot of the same things that, that these gentlemen feel, um, uh, the, the the guy who was the worship kind of the worship leader at the chapel, which you saw in the video, yeah, Wayne. Wayne, and he was uh, he was he was amazing to, to just get to to spend time with. And uh, one thing I I just felt was from all these guys was a tremendous amount of gratefulness. You know, for for us to be there, uh, for for anyone to come and visit, and for them to be able to share their stories as a way to to help uh, grow. Yeah, there wasn't. Can I, if I can interrupt, it yep. wasn't this entitlement like, finally you're here, or we deserve this. There was none of that. Right. It was, it was, it was really a genuine gratefulness to, and thankfulness that people would come and be able to share, help pour into their lives, and, and give them some more tools to continue on their ministry at the church, at, you know, the churches in the prison. Yeah. So on this picture, you're seeing a whole set of uh, guys in jerseys. They're, <laughs> believe it or not, I have a tackle football league. Um, inside the prison, there's 6,000 men, 18,000 acres, and within there, there's different camps. When I say camp, it's not camp that you went to when you were in high school. Um, it's, it's lockdown, and so there's from death row to J Ward, which is 23 hours of confinement. So it's, it's a legit prison. But the warden said, because the first service we were going to do on Monday night, 
said, I want to bring all the, the teams, make them go to this service. He says, because most of them don't know the Lord. And so this is when we had Mike Singletary speak, we had a guy from the Saints speak, and about 100 guys um, gave their lives to Christ uh, at the end of that. Albert Tate actually came up and just hit a home run. It was amazing to watch that unfold. And so these guys, this is before the service, have no idea what they're about to get in them, you know, themselves into, because they're kind of the tough football guys and definitely the prison kind of uh, picture. But Damien... You have a couple other thoughts. Yeah, let, me, let me pick up on that. I was sitting to the left of uh, where the, these guys in the red jerseys are, and uh, they weren't necessarily buying what Mike Singletary was selling early in the service. And I could just tell that from their body language. Uh, uh, they, they looked pretty casual here, but arms were crossed and uh, while, while praise and worship was happening. There was a fair number of them that weren't standing and, and weren't going to go there. But as the evening wore on, if, if preaching were a baseball game, Albert Tate from Los Angeles hit the, hit the spiritual equivalent of a grand slam home run. And I give Troy credit for bringing Albert in, who's from Mississippi originally. And he, he unpacked John 3.16 in a way that I had never mm -hmm. heard before. And these guys were coming out of their seats into the aisles. And he made a comment during, during his message. He said, you know, the bars of this prison do a great job of keeping you from getting out, but there's no way they can keep Jesus from getting in. And I love, love this illustration here. Uh, no smoking beyond this point. This could preach right here. There's a mm -hmm. message uh, in this picture. So uh, at the end, as Troy said, 75 to 100 guys, many of them with those jerseys on that early in the service just were not, were not there, uh, stood up and, uh, and surrendered their lives to Christ. So that was, that was another defining moment. You know, I don't know where we go with this, and I know one of the things that, that I'm charged to do as a church is to lead, inspire, um, inform, uh, almost become catalytic in calling us to things. And so the scripture is clear that we're not to forget those in prison. I don't quite understand that. I don't, uh, I'm not justifying anything they did. One of the things the warden said, he goes, I don't care what they did to get here. I'm only concerned about what I'm supposed to do and what God will do in them now that they're here. And so I, I thought that's so interesting for us. And as a church, uh, we have, a, we have a, a, a prison right down the road here off of 172. And Linda Walt uh, and some others from our church, there's other churches that partner and go down there. And if anything is stirring in my soul is how do we get around that even more? Uh, don't have the answer to that. And, you know, I... Typically in our staff throw the grenade of, I don't know how this works, but here, take this. And we should somehow figure this out because we, we should be a part of, of what God's doing in that place. And so Angola is not only some place we get to serve, but it's going to begin to serve us, I think, in, in some deeper ways. So uh, Damien, will you pray for just the ministry there, the Angola? And I'll, I'll get Eric off here before he passes out. <laughs> Yeah, just before my prayer, I just wanted to quickly share, and this is actually part of my prayer request. We, we have the opportunity to go on death row Tuesday morning. There's 86 men on death row, and two-thirds of the 6,000 prisoners in Angola are serving life sentences without parole. They're never getting out of there. And I was speaking to a, a man named David Brown. He, you know, I was as close to him as, as Troy is to me uh, behind the gate, and he made a comment to the, to the chaplain from the Ravens that he's going to die in Angola. And... Uh, chaplain walked away and I said, David, what, so what happens after that? And he said, nothing happens after that. And so that, that prompted a 10-minute a polite but intense conversation between the two of us. And I shared a different, a different view of what happens after death and shared the, the gospel message uh, with him. And so what I'm asking you to do is uh, circle David Brown in prayer. He's in his mm -hmm. mid-40s. He's thoughtful, articulate, uh, like Eric said, uh, wire rim glasses. He's got a son, and uh, he's not coming out of Angola. And the, the comment he made to me is, I can't follow a God that forces me to worship him. And I said, David, God will never force you to worship him. And there are these slits in their, in, their, uh, in their cells, and I reached my hands, and I said, it's as if God is reaching in and offering you a, a free gift. Uh, by grace through faith, uh, Jesus Christ wants to come into your life, and he wants to, mm. he wants to offer you the gift of eternal life. And uh, your condemnation is not from God. Your condemnation is by failing to accept the free gift. And at the end of our conversation, uh, the comment that, that sticks in my mind and haunts me a little bit is he said, when are you coming back? As if to say, I, I want to hear more about this. And so I want you to, 
to join me in, in uh, you can't go to Angola, but Angola's coming to you right now. And the, the man's name is David Brown. I want you to circle him in prayer. I want the hounds of heaven to chase him like he's wearing milk bone underwear. And, you know, You're on fire this morning. <laughs> Spiritual sparks. I mean, I'm just, I'm done. He's, he's up. You know, he, you know, the bars can keep him from getting out, but let, let's pray that uh, they wouldn't keep the spirit from getting in and changing David Brown's heart. So join me in prayer. Father God, we just, we're just humbled, Lord, and, and grateful and uh, convicted, Lord, in our own way about uh, our, own, our own guilt, Lord, and our own sin. And, and yet uh, uh, we can bring that to you, Lord. And the song that's been going through my, my head all week is the, uh, the, the old hymn, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, Lord. And there's nothing but the blood of Jesus, Lord, that can, can wash us clean and set us free. And we saw evidence of that within one of the darkest places in America, Lord. And, and uh, we just pray, Lord, uh, uh, for those inmates, those 6,000 men. We just uh, pray for... Uh, the leadership of, of one man, uh, Burl Kane, who is unassuming, Lord, and he said, I'm not smart enough to manufacture this, but somehow, some way, you've used him, Lord, to transform a place, Lord, that, uh, frankly, it was, was frightening to go into. And uh, uh, if you can use uh, a man like Burl Kane, Lord, you can use all of us here. You've got a role and a place and a purpose for all of us here, Lord, uh, within our hearts, within our homes, within this church, within this community, Lord, we pray. Uh, for the same type of transformation that we witnessed in Angola Prison, Lord. And we just pray that through this process, uh, you'd be honored and you'd be glorified. And we ask all this in the mighty name of your Son, our Savior, the great liberator, Jesus Christ. All God's children said, Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. You can leave your stools up. Just leave them up. So how does... How does... Uh, a young man, Micah, a man like Burl Cain, gets so inspired to do what they're doing with their whole, the whole of their life. How do the people of God change and transform? And this morning, I just quickly, before we go to response, I, I want to open up for you. The reason we wanted you to be exposed to this because there's a restlessness and something that goes on when Jesus comes into a life. Uh, just for a moment, on Palm Sunday here, if you look at Matthew 21, it says that on this day, uh, several hundred years ago, a couple thousand years ago really, verse 1, it says that when they drew near to Jerusalem, the disciples, they came to Bethpage and the Mount of Olives, and they sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in, in, uh, in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied uh, in a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me, and if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. Uh, the disciples then went and did as Jesus had directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put, them on their, uh, and put on them their cloaks and sat on them, and he sat on them, and most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and other cut branches from trees and spread them on their own palm branches, and they were, there were crowds that went before him and, and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. It was stirred up, saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. I, I want to first, uh, first say to you that when Jesus enters a life, he never enters it by force. When Jesus is called into your life, it says the scripture says that he's knocking and he's saying he's just waiting for you to invite him in. Jesus comes, as he did on a donkey, humbly into your life. It would be like the two different pictures if someone kicks the door down to your home. Definitely you take a new posture, correct? It's who's in here. If someone kicks down the door of your home, you're in defense. You're in protection mode. You're in game on mode. Here it goes. It's going down. This is war. 
I think many people perceive that that Jesus forces himself into your life and the churches are trying to force Jesus into anyone's life. And friends, that's impossible. As it says in the story, Jesus humbly enters Jerusalem. They wanted him there. So the different picture is, is when you let someone in to your home that you love and respect. When someone is led into your home, it's a whole different posture, right? It's, it's one of comfort. It's one of you wanting to make them feel welcome. And then you're open to listen. And what does it say that the city did? They were stirred up. They were stirred. Jesus is going to do something next as he humbly enters into this city. It says this, and Jesus enters the, the temple and drives out all who sold in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons, and he said to them, it is written, my house shall not be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Now, just, just for clarity, what was going on here was people are getting ripped off. Foreigners were coming in, the exchange of money was over and above what was, was fair, and so they were, they were ripping people off. When you allow Jesus into your life, one of the first things he does is he begins to turn tables in your life. It's as if you invited him to your home and he says, Troy, Troy, this, this table, this doesn't belong here. This is the table of, of you just being okay with people being in poverty and I've given you a job and I've given you a roof over your head and I've given you meals to eat and, and, and you start to feel a restlessness, and he turns that table over in your life, and you find yourself saying, I, I, I can't do this anymore. I used to just walk by the prison, but no longer can I walk by the prison because it's a table that doesn't belong in my life anymore, and, and there's a new change in my life. I talked to a friend this week, and we were honestly dialoguing and not shaming him, but he was just saying, Try, I don't know if I could go to Angola. I don't know if I could go to a prison because I can't see them that way yet. Friends, it's like a table is tipping in his life. And he knows it. It's like a table is tipping. And when Jesus is invited into your life, I think often people think it's just going to be great. Don't mess with anything, Jesus. I decorated in here, you know. I, I did everything the way I like it. And Jesus comes in, and the first thing he starts to do is turn tables. It may not just be for those in prison and poverty. It could be in your own life, and it might be Troy. This, this table of pride, that's got to go. And he'll flip it over in your life. And I believe Jesus will do and allow anything to happen in your life in order for you to recognize it doesn't belong. It does. This, this is how Jesus works in our lives. And so... Why is it that we continue to feel the restlessness as a church body when, when a church invites Jesus who humbly enters into this body of believers as we together and collectively say we want Jesus uh, to change us and transform us? He starts to say as a church, no longer does this table belong for you to ignore your city. No longer does the table belong for poverty in your city and homelessness in your city and the crime in the city and those people who don't know me in the city. Uh, that table's got to go. And he starts to, to, to create restless hearts, restless people. It says, though, that later that week, as you read all the way through all the things that went on, and he speaks to the Pharisees, he speaks to the religious culture. That's one of the tables he overturns. Don't play religion anymore. Religion doesn't work, it doesn't save anybody. There is no time card in heaven where you're punching a card and saying, God, I did my first communion. God, I did this, I did that, I did this for you. He's saying, I want your heart. And he starts to do this this whole week. Well then later in the week, he does something very powerful and it's the other thing that Jesus does when he enters into your life and into a church community's life. It says, now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus. And they were saying, 
where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say, the teacher says my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my tables. And the tables did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared Passover. And when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. Jesus not only turns tables, he sets a new one. He sets a new table for you and I to recline and to, to eat with the king and to form a new heart and a heart that's shaped around love and a heart that's shaped around forgiveness and, and giving and extending ourselves. And when he said, when people start to see this, others are going to invite me in humbly. Friends, this is the beautiful picture of Palm Sunday. We know what's going to happen to him because they, won't be, they don't like him removing the tables. They don't like him setting a new table. They said, no, 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 don't mess with anything. And this morning we have a chance, as we have heard, just a small story from Vapor that's international in Haiti in one or two countries. We hear about Angola, but friends, it is our city. It is all over the world, and God is calling for those who have humbly allowed him in to not only turn tables, but to sit and sit at this new table. And this is the, the story of Palm Sunday. This is the story of how God is shaping his bride, the church. This morning, as we go to response, might I ask you is what tables is God trying to turn in your life? Is it personal stuff? Is it sin? Is it a sin that he's saying, hey, friend, this, this, this doesn't belong anymore. This table in your life, let's get rid of it. Is it an injustice around you? Is it something you're beginning to see in the city, but you try to ignore it? And then what table is he setting before you? The table to be more like him. The table to receive that love and grace and forgiveness. And as Christians, we go to the table as a form and expression of worship. If you don't know God, it's nothing but a ritual, and we ask you not to do it. But if you do know God, it becomes a form of worship. Why? He did this for me. He humbly did this for me. As we sing these songs, for those of us who know God and go to the table, it becomes worship. A way for us to proclaim the great love of the Father. And so this morning, will you do that and think and reflect on what table God has set before you with his son, but what table is he going to turn this morning? Father in heaven, we thank you for the story that you're writing in this church's life, how you're writing a story in our lives, both personally but also as a church, to infect Green Bay, to change our state, and to infect our country and our world. And God, we thank you that you're turning and setting tables in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.